Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, Left Wing, Right Wing, West Wing. In our deep dive today, are police responses to left and right wing protests executed differently? Or are any perceptions of differences merely the result of our politically tainted contemporary vision? And in our Courage or Cringe segment, we welcome producer, entrepreneur, and Latino media expert Marcos Klein Marquez as we discuss Politico meets Shapiro, Black Oklahomans, and Andrew Yang. What responsibility do newsroom leaders have to their journalists when allowing outside voices to their editorial platforms? Do Republican senators who plan to vote for an audit prior to the Electoral College certification deserve a fair hearing to explain their rationale? Or do their actions deserve repudiation and suspicion forever? And do billionaire moguls get a pass from the occasional verbal miscue? Or should their words get the microscope treatment that their vaunted positions call for? This and much more on this episode of TDR. Jesus, welcome back. Thank you. No shortage of things to talk about. Yeah, we, we have a lot of things to talk about. It's just a lot of things going on. I mean, we're a day removed from uh, the presidential inauguration, which will be tomorrow morning. So today we're recording this on the 19th on Tuesday. So, you know, by the time this comes out, who knows? Hold what, our breath. Hold yeah, our breath. Who knows what the news will be? So, uh, but we'll try to do our best to at least cover some of the things that are still relevant as of this, uh, as of five o'clock on, uh, on Tuesday the 19th uh, before, before the inauguration actually begins. Before we get into it, uh, our listeners will have heard that in our Courage or Cringe segment, we're going to be welcomed by a guest. Um, that's actually a, a bit of a, of a clue to how we're going to be incorporating guests moving forward. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so we, you know, we've always believed um, for the podcast that it was really important to be able to bring in guests and, he, and basically for you know listeners to be able to have perspective from different voices. Um, but the things that we, the thing that we've been very adamant about is making sure that the how we did it, it wasn't, it didn't just turn into yet one more of the many thousands of interview shows that already exist, exist out there. And, and frankly, because if, you know, doing podcasts, a lot of it is about having that sort of back and forth rapport with people that it takes time to develop. We thought that the best way to engage in an actual conversation was to bring in people and then put them into this environment of courage or cringe, which by the pure nature, you know, the, the pure nature of that of that segment, I think it, it sparks debate. And, and at least we're hopeful that, that that will work out really well. We're excited to have Marcos uh, on our episode today. And uh, I think I think everyone, we know, will get a chance to enjoy that. 
We're going to learn a little bit, obviously, about Marcos as we go along, but I think the idea of kind of launching our guests directly into the deep end so they can play with us with uh, Courage or Cringe is going to be fun, and it'll be a way for people to learn about them while not turning it into, like you said, kind of a Q&A, sure. what's your favorite color, tell yeah, us how exactly. inspirational you are. Right, there's, right. What there's, did you learn? <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. And these are inspirational people, right? So we'll get a lot, we'll get a chance to see them in action, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited to welcome uh, Marcos, and I'm excited to dive into this particular topic. It's a hot one. Where do we start? Um, so, you know, this is kind of, I think, very much in, in part to a lot of the fallout that has occurred since the the attacks on Capitol Hill that happened now about two weeks ago, a little bit less than that. Um, now, you know, one thing that I would say in terms of seeing some of the social response as it was happening, and especially commentary coming from the left, was this this question that, that was raised. And it was raised in different ways, but the same central question, which is, Besides the how it happened, you know, how it was handled by police in general. Mm-hmm. But the main question that I kept on seeing is what would have happened if, if those protesters, instead of being overwhelmingly white and, 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 and supporters of, of President Trump, if they were primarily black and especially their Black Lives Matters demonstrators, right? Would it have been handled any different? And, and I thought that was a really interesting question, right? Sure. Because I think one of the critiques that happened is that many people felt that the way that the Capitol Police handled um, the protesters is they just a either weren't prepared or b just didn't expect it or or just couldn't see a group that you know for the most part is viewed as being very pro police. Um, as a matter of fact, you even saw during the protest many people you know flying the the thin blue line flag right, which happens a lot in these in these kind of protests that are uh, for Trump. It's a law and order crowd. It's a law and order crowd, right? At least that's what it was supposed to be. And um, at the same time, there's always this element of 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 military kind of presence people in fatigue clothing Mm -hmm. with weapons um you know so there's always this threat of yeah law and order until you kind of cross them or try to take their weapons and all of a sudden that law and order may turn pretty quickly so i think that was part of it but to that point there was a report that was put out by cnn uh, as it relates to a 2020 study that was done by leslie wood now she is an associate professor of sociology at York University of Toronto, right? Now, in her report, she concluded that left-leaning protesters were significantly more likely to be arrested than right-leaning ones. So just when you see that alone, it was like, okay, well, where does that come from, right? So just to give you a little more background in terms of that report. So she did the study uh, across uh, 64 demonstrations and basically around looking at arrests that were reported across 64 demonstrations in the U.S. in 2016 and 2018, right? Now, the focus of those demonstrations and arrests were primarily against protests that had a counter-protest. And part of it was because it was, she was trying to find protests that were more likely to be violent and that frankly presented more of those special challenges that police have to deal with. And so, now you have to sort of figure out right. who you're going to arrest and how do you basically squash, you know, squash it down. So these would be, I mean, if you're uninitiated in this stuff, this would be basically protests that bring both sides of an argument together in the same space. Sure. So this so, would be like Planned Parenthood and pro-life people. This exactly. Would be, it could be like, it was, remember, in, in 2018, a lot of, uh, as it relates to Confederate statues, mm-hmm. right? So you could have folks that were there to try to take it down and folks that were there to try to protect it, right? So any of those situations where you had people from both sides sort of attending, right? Now, when she found in her study that that uh, 10 times as many left-wing protesters were arrested as right-wing protesters in these 64 demonstrations. And the number is about 279 versus 26 on the, on the, 279 on the, on the left versus 26 on the right. Now, what was interesting was her assessment as to why this happened, right? Now, you know, she starts with sort of talking about the fact, and I quote, mm-hmm. the logic of policing protests 
has been one of threat assessment, and they tend to see left-wing protests as more threatening than right-wing. Now, part of it, she thinks, is race being a factor. Also, part of it is that groups that are critical of the police are seen as more threatening. Um, and that may help explain why, as an example, Black Lives Matter, which was critical of the police and black le- and black led, was seen as more threatening. And then police perceive protesters who refuse to negotiate, who do not have a centralized leader, and hide their identity from police as more threatening. Seems pretty logical, some of this stuff, even that she brings forth, right? Some of this seems logical, but it also, it seems logical, but you could also see in the case where um, when you when you look at that criteria, it would be probably more heavily weighed towards left-leaning organizations that are protesting versus right-leaning organizations, right? Um, as well, a matter well, of fact, mm-hmm. even like when you think about the sort of the craziness of the, of the attack on the Capitol Hill, what was so interesting to me is the boldness of people like well, that's not what, hiding th- their face. That's like, my point. Like, that's my point. Right. I'm so, here so, to like yeah, let's take, take you know to re- to have a revolution, and I don't care. Like, let's take these as case studies, right? right. Basically, com- you know, compare the summer stuff to the capital stuff, and even though you know, even compare comparing that, I know that is is ripe for for dissent and and ill will because I know that there's plenty of the world that doesn't feel that those should be compared at all, and I understand why. But let's just take it for for just to make the point. So you've got. Um, the fringe of the kind of summer protests being Antifa folks, things like that, a lot sure. of concealment of faces, dressed in black. Everybody had masks on because of COVID, so that was kind of like part of the concealing, right? Right. And then you've got this thing with these guys basically peacocking. Like, they're literally right. showing off. They're like, not only are they not covering themselves, they're, showing they're up, actually yeah. calling That's attention to, to themselves, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think at least comparing those, I can see that. Um and the fact that there's no centralized leader, right? So, in, in you know, I, I think maybe in both cases you can kind of make that. Well, in one case you can make a case that Trump was a leader, right? Yeah. In the other case, you can make a case with Antifa. There is no centralization. It's kind of amorphous. That's why it gets a pass. I think unfairly is like, oh, this is a figment of people's imagination. It isn't. It is real. But because you can't identify or put a finger on who's actually running it, even I would know, say even Black Lives Matter sort of could be put in that, in that sure, category of not having like a true central leader. Now, there's people that started it. There's uh, three women, right, that started it. Right. But as that sort of has morphed and evolved across the, the country, you know, mm-hmm. you can't – it's not like in every single one of them, like, oh, the chapter president of Black Lives Matter is the one that's organizing mm-hmm. this specific protest. So, And I think in that one, you also have to separate the sentiment from the org, right? Because right. we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, But anyway, my point is I can see some logic in this. Um, and then the, the part about groups that are critical of the police being more threatening – um, well, I mean, that stands to reason as well that if I'm, let's just say you're whatever you are, let's say you're, I, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Let's say you're a, an accountant, right? And you've got people that are, ex- that are very pissed off at accountants. And then you've got people that are upset about climate change. Like I'm probably going to be more leery of the people that are directly against accountants right. than I am about the, people who are climate change people. The, the, that seems logical to me. I, I get it. The challenge with that is that the reason why they're protesting is because of the treatment by those police in many cases, especially in the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's like the cause itself, the reason to protest is because of this ongoing treatment uh, that people feel that they've, they've received. And by the way, I think that's the part where it makes, I think for those that are never experienced that, makes it really hard for them to understand how anyone could see police in any other light as being a help or a someone that is there to assist them, someone that you call when you're in trouble. 
But for many folks, that is not the experience that they have. They not only have to fear whatever is already happening in their neighborhood, but also have to fear the police that comes and actually try to solve the problem. They literally have to fear both things. And I think that's the... It's, it makes it really tricky. I, I, I completely mm-hmm. get that. Um, and it could understand, even could understand from a police standpoint, how it will make it harder to try to manage that. I completely um, agree with that. My question continues to be the degree to which the people that are doing the protesting on the anti-police or maybe police reform side are the very people who are actually under that duress, at least the people that, that do it violently. Here's my point. I remember over the summer seeing a news a news piece about a woman who was in charge. I don't know if she was in charge of, but she had some position in Black Lives Matter, like actual position. And she was going out there basically berating all of yeah. these white protesters, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. who summer. were throwing a bunch of crap, who were vandalizing, who were beating people up Agreed. and going like, all this stuff is going to get painted on us. You guys, first of all, like... Thanks, but no thanks. Number one is you're not the ones that are actually living with this. Number two is you're really messing us up, right? You're basically, you're basically, you're, you're confirming the concerns that people have about this movement, right? And and they have the benefit to like the second they're tired of it, they could just walk away, take off whatever cover they have, and they still are not going to be black. Right, so they don't have to worry about uh, that. That's what I saw. Look in LA. I, I remember. Are, I remember yeah. seeing in LA a lot of very angry-looking. I don't know if they're angry people because I can't read their heart. Very angry-looking, mostly white young people yelling at mostly minority cops, and right. that to me was like just a total, just, you know, and, outer, yeah. outer, outer space thing. And that is interesting. I think what still when you think about that and when you look at the contrast mm-hmm. between we went to like well, let's go back to what her the study number 279 from the left and 26 on the right yeah i think that's the part where you can look at all these their individual points it's a 10x. And, and i can rationalize it's some a 10x. of those things like, yeah should it be higher maybe yeah. i mean so going back to this like now by the way she did get pushed back on the study right so well that's what i want to get to yeah, because so, i think so there's Bill another Johnson, way to think about it who is the executive director of the national association of police organizations okay long title um, he said, <laughs> the author... Ex- the longer the title, the more important yeah, the job the more is, important is. you are. That's right. He said, and I quote, the author explains that leftist counter-protesters uh, deliberately utilize the tactic of no platforming, right? Which is defined thus as no platforming means disrupting rallies that aim to promote racist or fascist ideologies by organizing such large counter-protests that the planned speeches cannot be heard. And we've seen this, especially that, in, that in, in, sure. in college campuses. Basically, the idea is you're not uh, like we're, our protests will be making it impossible for people to hear your words. Uh, c- correct. Right. right. Uh, so, yeah, that's that definitely happens. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he continues. He goes, goes, goes on to say, and if I'm reading the study correctly, leftist counter protests are thus more likely to be arrested because they, they because by definition, they are breaking the law by deliberately trying to shut down lawfully permitted rightists. Uh, demonstrations, right? So w- when I hear that, so I'm, I'm curious to your take. When I hear that, yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I, mm-hmm. we were still talking about 10x, and we're, that's the yeah. part where the where the disconnect all of a sudden falls it apart probably, in my mind. It probably doesn't solve for all of that disparity, but it is, to my mind, it is a good point insofar as it correlates to the arrests that were made. Now, I don't know if in the study she actually these 279 um, arrests versus the 26 arrests. Do we actually look at what those arrests were for? In other words, like, are they categorized? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Are they in groups? Because if if what this guy is saying, who's obviously a cop and he's actually executive director of a big police organization, sure. he's saying, listen, if your protest is by definition making it impossible for somebody to talk and that person has pulled the right permit, has done whatever it is at City Hall, and you're literally not making it possible for him to be heard, then at some point you will be arrested for that. In other words, right. like – 
you're, the, the, the definition of your protest is by its definition something you're probably going to get arrested for. Now, that would be reflected in the 279 yeah. and, and whatever figures. And if we don't have that, it'll be hard to tell. It, it'll be hard to tell. But, it, it, mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm very skeptical. I think you're right. And I'll probably explain some of it. Some of it. Some of it. I still am very, very skeptical of this. Um, and, and look, all of this data is all pre the capital attack, right? Yeah. Just to be clear. It's all pre because this is 2017, 2018, like two years ago, okay? Um, but when you look at it as terms of what happened in the Capitol attack mm-hmm. and compare it versus other um, demonstrations that happened in Washington and how people were arrested the day of. Now, we know that if, even with, the, with what happened two weeks ago, the number of people that have been arrested since has, has grown dramatically, right? Uh, actually, I don't have what the, what the total number is that it is at this point. But in the day of, on January 6th, there were 61 people that were arrested, uh, by Capitol Police. On right. the day. On the arrested, day of, right, right. But they've been arrested since that's, then. That's exactly what I just said, yeah. right? So since then it's grown. Last time I checked, it was 150 plus. Maybe it's gone more than that, okay? But the day of, 61 people were arrested, mm-hmm. okay? Now, the, in this article that CNN put together, they found nine occasions where police arrested more Washington demonstrators in a single day, right? Mm-hmm. So same thing I'm sure also happens where afterwards you arrest more people. So there were 133 LGBTQ activists at the Supreme Court in October 2019 that were arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, there was 575 protesters against Trump administration's immigration policy that were arrested in June 2018. And on June 1st, 2020, the day the president, uh, the infamous uh, photo op at the church near the White House, the police arrested 316 people. And I think when you see this, this is where the part where it gets, it just gets hard to justify that. In, especially when we look at the, especially the last one. Look, I, I'm not as familiar in terms of the other two in terms of what happened. When you look at the last one, and they got a lot of feet. I mean, as a matter of fact, I think that was this was probably one of the very the visuals that really hurt President Trump's uh, ability to get reelected. Is is the the all, doing all this for a photo op for press for PR where people were getting gassed and all the violence that was done to it, and then compare that where you literally have Capitol Hill being broken into. And in some cases, you have people being like held by the hand, walking in. You have one police officer who was taking selfies with protesters who's been since fired and I don't know if they're going to do anything <laughs> with, with them. But like that's the part. And by the way, you add to the fact that even in the preparation now for, the, for, for tomorrow's um, uh, presidential inauguration, it's already been reported. Like I think like 12 of the, of the National Guard folks have actually been taken off duty because of concerns that they may be too friendly to uh, potential protesters. And that's the problem. Sure. I, to me, like that's the the part where the disconnect in all the rationalization before I get it, and I could even me, see it being mm-hmm. more weighted one way versus the other. But I just have a hard time understanding how those two things could be could be true. I think it's rooted in a couple in a couple things, and I think they're very simple and logical if we really just take a deep breath and think about it. Generally speaking, first of all, I take for granted the things that we've talked about. I do think that there is some level of higher arrest made simply because your protest is actually itself going into illegal territory because of the strategy you're pursuing. So I do believe that that accounts for some of it. Let's say that takes it from 10x down to 5x, okay? Sure. But it accounts for some of it. And in the absence of the data on why these people were arrested, it's going to be impossible for us to find out. But I got to believe that that's part of it. I, th- I think that the, mo- the other part of it is, you know, cops are people, right? And for the most part, and this is, you know, pretty big generalization, but I think it's it's generally true, you know, left-wing protests are going to be less favorable to police than right-wing ones. I think that that's a pretty non-controversial statement to make. And people, you know, I'm not saying this is right, but 
people get like cops get, you know, annoyed, they get pissed off, they get whatever. And that may have them look more critically at an action that is illegal and should be done and maybe not pursue every version of it when they see it to, to a group of people that is not as critical to them. I think that's some part of it. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm saying it's, 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 not, it's not an equal um, uh, you know, enforcement of the law. But when I think about these black and brown cops that I saw in L.A. getting spat on, getting thrown crap, mostly by white people, the difference there had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with like what your role is. Mm-hmm. And so like I could see those guys getting just like, you know, going, I'm going to go chase that one kid another block to arrest him. And maybe the other guy who's like doing something that's not directly in affront front to me, maybe I don't run the extra block. Like, I don't know. I'm just thinking the human that, nature comes yeah, into, into this. Human nature and I don't think it. this has to do with color, at least not evidenced by the stuff that I saw in LA, or at least not only with color. Right. But, so, I, but I think there is such a a stark comparison when you look at what happened in Capitol Hill two weeks ago. Because all of that argument to me, I could buy it to a large degree until you see what has been deemed by most people, including Republicans, an insurrection, like a failed, mm-hmm. you know, a failed attempt. There was definitely ill intent in trying to get a you know number of, of senators that were that were in there and, and, and lawmakers. And still when you think about the number of people that were arrested, sixty one mm-hmm. people, it's a fraction. Right? It's it, it's I mean is less than a fourth of the people that were arrested on the day of the photo op for, for President Trump, where there was no Capitol building being breached, where there was no threat specifically at any of lawmakers, where like right. a key part of a branch of government was not literally a threat of, of, of the democratic process. And that's the part where, having said that, it's just really hard to rationalize. And it's hard for me to make an argument to someone that looks at this and say, see, they are treated extremely different because right. if it was... Black Lives Matter or anyone else what doing I'm saying this, is, it will be a very different situation sure. because of the action that they took. But aren't you kind of, I feel like we're kind of saying the same thing in different ways because if you look at the makeup of the D.C. police and if there's some variation for the Capitol Police, which is a, a, a little bit different, but D.C. police is over 65% minority. So aren't you making the case that if these black and brown officers did not arrest these people at the same clip as Black Lives Matter, why would race be the first thing we go to and not, hey, maybe these guys are more aligned to my, they're, they're more in my food group, so that's why I don't treat them as critically. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, in other words, doesn't that make the case? If, if all the cops were all white, then maybe you could say that's why. But I guess what I'm struggling to understand is how does a majority black police force or minority police force enforce things differently with white and black people and have that be around color but, as opposed to around what those people are oriented towards or against. But I think your, the question that you're asking me mm-hmm. has an inherent assumption that by having more diverse police, mm-hmm. it home somehow changes the dynamic of how the police as an institution sees diverse people, right? Now, I, I, I could actually yeah. think, yeah, I could see that, but I also think there's plenty of data to show that's actually not the case. There, there is enough still discrimination that happens. In LA is a great example that has a very diverse police force, but yet... Still, black and brown people are the ones that are on the wrong side of things constantly in terms of how many get incarcerated uh, for for petty crimes many many times. That I I think even in cases where you have police officers that are more diverse, the tendency is to be more aggressive against diverse people, even though those police themselves are also diverse, right? And I think part of it comes from some of the issues that that that, that frankly people were protesting against mm-hmm. in the case of police's were it's very much done a, as a, as an organization. It's, it's about protecting your own first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Right, and that you mean your own is in your as own, a police uh, officer, other cops, other yeah, cops, yeah, yeah, which makes it really hard to even 
turn in or sure. to uh, or to yeah to to speak out against police officers that are doing things that are that are that are racist. Look, even the case of George Floyd, they weren't all white. One was Asian. I forget what the what the other what the other uh, ethnicities were of the of the police officer. I remember one being Asian for sure. Right. So even in that case, right. So your position is your position is that racism in the police force, it doesn't matter if the cop is of the given race, he can still be a racist. Uh, yes. My, okay. I guess my position is that while I do agree with you that there is an impact and I hope there is in cases, especially with police forces that are not diverse at all, that mm-hmm. there is some impact. But I still think that the the general principle of police or police organizations being very self-protective first and foremost, right, that that in many ways makes it harder to break apart even when you bring in more diverse but, but police officers. But okay, I understand that, but that's not what I just said. In other and, words, and, then, and, then, and then the net result is, right. is still black and brown people being treated worse than if, but, right. than if they weren't. Because I agree with you about them wanting to protect their own and kind of the blue line and all that stuff. And there's been a right. history of that, although at some point that feels like it's getting a little bit less pronounced than it once was. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I agree with that, but I don't see that necessarily correlating to um, color. I see that as like we're cops first and foremost. We're trying to protect our own. That's like their first motivation. What, but that's but but that's that will go whether it's a to, white perp or it's a black perp or it doesn't matter. Right. So I think the protecting your own. I think as part of that is also how you treat. Mm-hmm. That, that's the argument that I'm making. That I think that police organizations, which is part of the problem, and that's a big issue. What Black Lives Matter was really all about, at least in the summer, is the fact that people feel that the police departments in many cases are treating diverse people differently sure. and worse than they do than they do white people. And, and, I, and think, I think that's mm-hmm. that's the issue. And I think that's where, frankly, this data is trying to get at, is that even when the cases where you have extreme versions of demonstrators, that when you see the net results of who gets arrested, it is such a big difference between the two that it's hard to justify how these, that, that could be the case. The data on... on um suspects, perpetrators, however you want to call it, that get roughed up, you're right, is definitely there. The 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 sort of lethal force and all that is not as clear. In fact, in certain cases, there's kind of an under-index for Latino and blacks in terms of like losing your life. But the roughs up, the rough ups, the, the, the too aggressive of a force, all of that is definitely something that I've, that I've seen. You know, it's funny because we had, you saw this a little bit right outside of our of our office, which is kind of an unusual thing, but there was, we had a police incident um, last week. And we had, I then ended up seeing the video of what actually happened literally right outside uh, where we work. And it was, you know, a young, probably, I don't know if he was on drugs or whatever it was, maybe he had a mental problem, but it was a, a young black guy with a bike, with a chain and a, a lock at the end of it, just beating the crap out of these two cops. And it had to, like another, uh, uh, basically a bystander had to like run up and help the cops mm-hmm. get this guy down. I have to, I, I figure like, um, you know, years ago, like, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think like that would have probably had more likelihood to have ended lethally. Right. Um, and now I think about, well, the, the, the kind of balancing act is how do we keep people bystanders? You know, my, my son got chased by this guy, which is how we found out about it. Right. Mm -hmm. How do we keep bystanders and cops and other people safe and still be able to like, you know, secure and protect neighborhoods and do all that while abiding by, you yeah. know, people's rights, because I, I, I couldn't help to think, but if I'm one of those cops, man, in the environment we're in right now, I can't imagine trying anything on this kid because it's going to be everywhere and I'm going to be like dead. And you shouldn't have cops thinking that way. Like it's it's a tragedy to me on all fronts. But I, but I think they should be thinking that way because I think to take someone's life. No, 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 no. I don't mean no, to no, take but, somebody's but, but, life. But, I mean to do what, what I mean. they would do with anybody. But that it, like, it, And I'm not saying they are because I don't know. But, but I think it, that's, part of the, that's part of the problem, Charlie, is that too many times the answer has been 
you have someone with a knife, you have someone that is a dangerous criminal. I'm not justifying anything they're doing, but that their response is let's shoot them 15 times. Right. No, I agree with that. Right. It's that like sh- that should that not cannot be the case. like there has to but be like tasers here. and things like sure. that, which they didn't use. They didn't use any of that. No idea why they want to use yeah. a taser in this kid who probably has some drug issues based on, on at least how you guys are describing what, what was happening there. Yeah, I think they should use for I think the issue here is like when you take it to lethal force, and unfortunately there's way too many examples of people that were committing crimes. But that lethal force was used against them where it, it just didn't seem like it needed to be the case. Yeah, and I, or even when uh, someone mm-hmm. gets shot and lethal force used, like, do you have to shoot that many times? Like, sure. Are you yeah. really that bad of a shot that you have to shoot this person that many times for you to get them down? Like, see what I'm saying? I, I, think that's I the, agree. That's that, the challenging part I agree that the, resor- the, the resorting to lethal force very, very quickly, even in a way that can be justified, happens too much. The point I'm making across the board happens too much across the board. Yeah. What I, the point I'm making is. I wouldn't want these cops, and I don't know what they were thinking, okay? But my fear is that they were, that whatever they thought, they would be thinking differently for this person because of his skin color than the next person that they're going to interact with. And my point is, I agree, lethality across the board should go down, but I wouldn't want to have people just second guess everything they're doing uh, on the basis of the kind of political climate that we find ourselves in. I think, and I agree with you. in theory, although in practice, if that's the outcome, if they think about this kid differently um, and treat him differently than they would any other kid, I think it's actually a good thing because it's not going to be treated better. Is that he's going to start treating the same as other kids, like mm-hmm. if that kid was white. Mm-hmm. Because if that kid is white, they're a lot more likely to not use lethal force against him. And that's just the reality. Not or, lethal, or, or, violent, or, or violent, violent, violent force, force yeah. against him. Yeah, yeah. They're just... It's like, well, kids probably from this neighborhood, just something happened. Like there is, I think, the, 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 the orientation will be to try to figure out how to help this kid out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's ultimately maybe a better thing. Now, you don't want the outcome to be that because of their having to second guess themselves that the police officers get hurt in the process. It's a very dangerous job. So, and that's where I think it's gone. Then it goes too far. Sure. So as long as that's not the outcome, I mean, I hope there are more cases people do second guess themselves or not using lethal force or using violent force when, when it can be avoided. Um, because I think we need more of that, you know. And, and it's, it's sad when you look at all this data. So at the end of the day, it's just... You know, these are real people getting of hurt, course. you know, real damage being created. Um, and look, I think the reality is, especially in what happened two weeks ago, there's going to be continual uh, fallout from this and, and hopefully better protocol, right? Better protocol from from Capitol Police being better prepared to not underestimate any group, even those that that, that carry the flags of the thin blue line. Because at the, at the end of the day, it's still groups that are coming out and especially those that are armed in cases where they're not supposed to be armed. Uh, and could be a, could be a big problem, right? And you will hate for something bigger to happen just because you're, you're underestimating any one of these groups. My uh, my final point before I ask you to kind of wrap us up a little bit is I, there's a lot of people who have um, responded very strongly to the comparison of the Capitol Hill riot to the BLM riot, uh, the, or the events over the summer of which included riots, right? The, yeah. B, the BLM protests and then some rioting that actually happened in, in different cities throughout the country. There's people who have complained about that because they they call it a false equivalency. On this show just recently, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, I specifically mentioned that I viewed that as a bit of a false equivalency because yeah, even though you could- com- yeah, It was yeah. last week. Okay. So- It could only have been two weeks, either last week or so, when it happened, right? It happened right. two weeks ago. Well, I don't know. I don't remember. Like, <laughs> like I know what date it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, I find that though, that there's a, f- a philosophical inconsistency of that position with respect to comparing the two events- and then a lot of people now basically comparing the two events when it comes to actually police inter- intervention in those two events, right? So my point is, if you're saying that the Capitol riots can't be compared to the to the, to the uh, riots that happened in the summer, uh, along with 
protests. I'm not saying they were all riots. They weren't, but there were riots. So if you're saying you can't compare those two in the standard of deaths or in the damage that was done or in the costs that were you know, took, took place, then I don't think you can likewise claim the comparison with respect to police force, right? So I think that you're comparing a single event in one city on one day. By definition, you can't compare that with a series of things in many states lasting months. I think by their nature, they're kind of not comparable. So I stick with my position that they're kind of a false equivalence, but I feel that people are now equivoc- making them equivalent in the sense of the police's response to them. Yeah, but I think that there are two very different things, Charlie, only in the sense that what even when we look at what the study is trying to understand is when you look across these different types of protests, and especially those that had violent elements to it, how has police in general, what are the trends that we're seeing in mm-hmm. terms of what the response is, right? And you could do that across the case in a bunch of different ways. You could look at it, you could look at trends in terms of damage, and that's fine if you want to look at that. You want to look at how much property damage do we have on average on protests that are left wing versus right wing. The part where the comparison completely falls apart in my mind is that comparing the dollar amount of damage that happens at a Gap store versus dollar amount of, of, of damage that happens at the Capitol building during a joint session of Congress, it's, you could compare the dollar amount, but it means nothing in the context of the grandness of what could have happened if they captured Mike Pence and they hanged that guy. Like mm-hmm. He does not walk out of that. Like That, to me, is... That's where you could you could make a lot of comparisons if you want to, but it's just the magnitude yeah. of importance. Just like if someone gets arrested, um, that is Joe Blow, whatever, versus the leader of a movement that it happens to have like a certain kind of important. Like you could you could put them in this in the same numbers but of, you of arrest, but, but you, you but can't really compare them. But the magnitude of the importance yeah. of that it was so different, and that's I, I think where, where, you, where you make the, the, the difference. But well, but but yes, and and but and that's why when uh-huh. you look at the number of people arrested the day of versus the the magnitude is that's why it's, I I do think it's actually super relevant to understand like wow even in that magnitude like with when people call an insurrection you still only had sixty some people that got arrested a Capitol building that was overtaken and and they were in there for over four hours. I just like, don't, I don't think I don't think I don't me, you know? I, I think that they were ill prepared. I think there was a lot of factors. There was a lot. We'll find, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. we'll find out afterwards. There, but by the way, there was a report about a, uh, a Capitol uh, police officer mm-hmm. who was uh, immediately suspended because he was wearing a a, uh, a uh, Make America Great Again hat, mm-hmm. right? And he was sort of lumped into this category. This other guy that was literally taking selfies with the crowd, which is <laughs> stupid, right? But then I saw the the actual video came out of what the guy was doing. African American uh, Capitol police officer. And he put on the hat. He was saying, look, I put the hat on to try to like win some people over because he was trying to get some police officers out of this one specific area. They got trapped by the crowd. And he was able to get some of the protesters, some of the Trump mm-hmm. protesters that weren't in the building yet to help him with a blowhorn and clear the way. And there were you can see the protesters arguing with each other to whether or not to allow these police officers to escape this area. And it all started by this one black uh, uh, officer who happened to put on a hat but did it basically to try to like blend in or feel like, hey, I'm on your side, but please let me just let these guys leave because he was afraid of his. Yeah. Of his uh, and, and you look at that, it was like it's such a it feels like such a hero moment that this guy did. And I even get credit to those those uh, protesters that were there, that, those pro Trump protesters who actually helped them because he explained to them what he was trying to do. Yeah, of course. And they backed them. Yeah. Like, okay, so that's why I also <clears throat> wouldn't paint the entire thing in the same picture. Yeah, right. W- in right. terms of people that were in the rally protesting. Versus those that decided taking the rally to uh, let's let's go ahead and break in and and see what damage we can create. Yeah. Final thought. I don't think that, and I've said this before as well, that these kind of fringe movements are the definers of the larger platforms. I don't think the Capitol rioters are Republicans or even Trump supporters. And I don't think that to the extent that there was any rioting and there was 26 people died, 
and I'm not just talking about gap off. I'm talking about federal buildings destroyed and set on fire. I don't think the people who did that are Democrats or even BLM supporters. I think that both of these are examples of the ugliest, fringest kind of uh, parts of these movements. And I, I personally don't, I repudiate both of them and I'm not equating them by repudiating both of them. But I think that that's important to say because there's so much of this, like, you know, uh, um, identification with these folks in these kind of political frameworks, and they're not. They're the, to my mind, they're the fringe. Anybody who would set something on fire or kill someone on, you know, for 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 these um, for their perceived mission, is not in the mainstream of these movements. They're not. They're not. But I would definitely push back on on not categorizing some of the folks that are there as not being Trump supporters because the well, they're reason Trump, they're they're of course they're Trump supporters. Like, of course they're Trump supporters. Right. What I mean by that is that they're, they're not, not representative a, of the broader yeah, they're Trump supporters who wanted to, who, you know, who wanted to kill half the ticket. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's put them in a very special category. Okay? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Then, so, then I'm then I'm with you. Yeah, of course. And I could okay. say, hey, look, I'm sure some of the people who set the federal buildings on fire, or even people who killed other people, may have voted for Biden. That doesn't make them Democrats. By the way, I actually don't think they would just because he's. Uh, not left this enough for, for that's them. That's probably true, but given right, the choices, say, yeah, given, the, given choices, the choices, I'm sure. But it's like the World Cup, man. At the end of it, it's like whatever whatever country is in the World Cup that speaks Spanish, that's my team. Right, okay, uh, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, how I think long we, we covered this up pretty well. Hey guys, if you want to check out our Courage or Cringe segment with Marcos Klein Marquez, please check out part two of episode 22. Should be right behind this episode in your podcast player of choice. We ran a little bit over uh, this week with our conversation with Marco, so we thought we'd break up the episode into two. So make sure you go and check out part two of episode 22, Left Wing, Right Wing, and West Wing, for our Courage or Cringe segment with the illustrious Marcos Klein Marquez. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.